0: Today's reading will be taken from Jonah 1:17 through 2:10. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish 3 days and 3 nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, "In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry." You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas. And the current swirled about me. All of your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. This is God's word.
1: Megan, thank you very much. Do please keep that passage open. Chapter 1, verse 17 of the book of Jonah. The second in our series looking at the book of Jonah, which we began last week, we'll look today from chapter one, seventeen to 2, verse 10. The famous story of Jonah and the great fish. Before we look at that, why don't I pray for us? Our Father God's almighty, we have sung that salvation comes from the Lord, and we pray that you would open our eyes today, and that through Jonah's experience, we might understand afresh what it means that salvation is uh, your possession, your preserve, belongs only to you and no one else, and what that means for us. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, if you were here last week, it raised a question towards the end of the chapter that I want to address in earnest this week by asking the question how committed are you to the quality of life? I mean how committed are you really to quality of life? I hope you are I'm sure you are but what steps do you take to ensure quality of life as the person that you are the best life you can secure? How committed are you to quality of life? Well, that might seem at first glance a far cry from this story of Jonah in the belly of the great fish, but actually it's a really timely question that gets answered for Jonah in this chapter. It's a timely question for Jonah and for Israel, who are, if you like, on the slides, facing exile, drifting from the Lord their God. And today we see a truth that can call Jonah and Israel and us back to the Lord's to remind us of what alone belongs to him. And we'll see that in one failed swoop, it is the very truth as well that will not just call Jonah back to the lords, but send him out to the Ninevites in chapter 3, the thing he was so keen not to do in chapter 1, verse 2. But these, uh, these questions of life and death were put on the table by chapter 1. If you were, weren't here last week, let me recap for us chapter 1. We saw that it was foolish for Jonah to run from the God of sea and lands. Because the God of sea and land is the Creator God, He's the God of life. To run from Him is to run from life itself. Jonah thought that God was was dealing death to him when He said, "Go to the Ninevites." Jonah thought that God's grace to the Ninevites would be death to him, but He's the God of sea and lands. Jonah didn't know that, but the sailors did. We saw that uh, their response to the Lord was fitting. So, exposed to the elements out on a great storm in the sea, we saw that symmetry. People of sea and land should worship the gods of sea and land, just as the the creature should look to their creator for life. Well, the difference between uh, last week and this week is the difference between the sea and the land and beneath the sea. Because you see very different things from the sea and the land and from under the sea. I said last week that uh, if you get the film rights to make the film of Jonah, don't let the producer change the setting. Make sure chapter 1 is set on the sea and the land. We'll make sure chapter 2 is set beneath the sea. It has to be. Because we'll see today it's a really strategic place for the Lord to take us, to teach us about him and about ourselves. It's a paradox, but uh, the deeper Jonah sinks in this chapter, the murkier the water gets, if you like, the clearer is his picture of God's. And so he reaches the conclusion of his praise, at the very depths of the sea. It's that phrase that appears at the end of verse 9. Salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You could put that in highlights. It is, if you like, the key message of these verses. Well, what it means and what it means for us, we'll see from verses 2 to 9. Before we do that, let me speak for a moment about the bookends of this, this Song of Jonah. They're very famous bookends. They've attracted a lot more attention than the Song of Jonah has. Itself. So turn back to chapter one, verse 17. The Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. And then the second bracket, so chapter two, verse 10, at the end of the song, as soon as Jonah has uttered the climax, the, the key message of his song, salvation belongs to the Lord. Well, verse 10, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now, a lot of ink has been spilt on these verses, these bookends to the song. And if those are, if you like, uh, a surprise for you, if those are are almost a stumbling block for you, well, let me respond by saying this. If if the question is whether this God could do this, well, in a sense, this this miracle isn't different from anything else that happens in Jonah, or indeed the rest of the Bible. We saw in chapter 1 that God blew a great wind upon the sea. He brought a great storm about. In fact, the same way he appointed that storm, we see that he appointed this fish to swallow Jonah. He will appoint, in chapter 4, a plant to grow up and to give shelter to Jonah. He will destroy that same plant. So if we've got an issue with God being in control of his creation, intervening in his creation, in a sense, this miracle is no different from anywhere else. And the Bible's teaching is clear. God, because he is the creator, can intervene in his creation. But if your issue is something a bit different, if, if you wonder, but why this miracle? Why this miracle? It seems so strange. God causes a man to be swallowed by a fish. He's in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, and then he's vomited onto dry land, onto safety. Well, in a sense, you're right to fixate on that miracle. In the 1960s, there was... Uh, a man, a language philosopher called Marshall McLuhan, and he he coined the phrase, the medium is the message. The means by which a message comes to you itself tells you something. So, for example, uh, architects knew this very well. So the aquatic center, it's like a fish in the sea. The very design and look of the building tells you exactly what it's for. It's an aquatic center. The medium is the message. And so if you're fixated on why... Why does the Lord do this? Such a strange way to communicate. Well, it is part of the very message itself. It is supposed to be a God-given sign of something that only God can do. Now, we'll only see that from the song. So I'll revisit that after we've come through verses two to nine. In particular, verses two to seven, if you turn to those now, there is an outline in the back of the service sheet. And I've summed up verses two to seven as uh, Jonah declaring that the Lord is in a class of his own because he alone can bring life up from the pit of death. He's able to, he makes a habit of doing that. Come with me back to verse 2. Now verse 2 says in many ways that the Lord is within earshot of the belly of death itself. Do you see uh, the two sets of parallel lines in verse 2? Twice we're told Jonah called out to the Lord. Twice we're told that God answered. He heard his cry for help. But what makes verse 2 stand out is where he cries from and where the Lord hears too. In my distress, verse 2. That is, in the place of narrowing options. The place where hope runs out. The place where escape looks very slim indeed. That place of distress, Jonah says, I called out from there and the Lord heard my cry. And he ups the ante in the next line. Do you see that place of distress? It's none other than the belly of Sheol. It's translated here, the depths of the grave. Literally, it's the belly of Sheol. Sheol, in the ancient mind, is the underworld, the place of no return. Above all, the place of death, where options really narrow, where hope really runs out. And Jonah says, it's like I was there and the Lord heard my cry. Now, it is no, uh, no coincidence that this chapter is set beneath the sea. For in the mind of the Jews, in the minds of those of the ancient Near East, the sea was the best visual aid the world could give for chaos and mystery and all that it stood for. And so it's no surprise that uh, over time, the depths of the sea came to stand for that greatest mystery of all, the perennial problem that we all face, the creaturely problem of death. Sheol, the netherworld, Well, it had its doors symbolically at the very base of the sea where Jonah goes to. So then we've got to read verse 3. Jonah was hurled into the deep, into the very heart of the seas. God's current swept over him. And now we realize that he's saying that this particular event brought him face to face with the perils of death itself. Now, Jonah believes in a sovereign God. That much is clear from verse 4. He says, the Lord, you cast me into the deep, even though the sailors threw him overboard. He knows the Lord is the one who is behind this, which makes it all the more surprising that he follows with this confidence in verse 4. And this is key. Verse 4, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. Here's a man, if you, uh, if you remember back to chapter 1, he he spent all of chapter 1 fleeing from the presence of the Lord. He goes down to Joppa to board a ship with the express aim of fleeing to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And now in verse 4, when surely the Lord is banished from his sight, he says, no, I will look to the presence of the Lord, the place of the presence of the Lord, his temple dwelling. And it's taken a journey to the bottom of the sea for him to see it. And it is something about this God and his goodness that it really shows up when we run out of hope, when it's clear that hope is gone. But before we learn out why that is, Jonah has to go just a bit deeper, verses 5 and 6. The engulfing waters threatened me. More literally, the waters were up to my neck. This was death putting its arms around me. The deep surrounded me. Kelp and weeds of the sea became, do you see, like natural chains and fetters, binding him, choking him. Verse 6, to the roots of the mountains I sank down. Those were the foundations of the world, the basis of the mountains. The way that the ancient person said the world is a stable place morally and physically. But you don't want to see those depths. You don't want to see those foundations because that tells you that you're at the base of the sea and at the base of the sea, figuratively speaking are the doors of Sheol, the doors of death. And so, verse 6, the earth beneath, the netherland down below, that bars him in. This is the place of no return, Jonah would have us know. So Jonah wants us to know that to the very depth, the place of no return, I plumbed those depths. And he speaks a universal language. We know what he means by that. Because what he describes is not just an ancient phenomenon, but a universal one. Death, the place of no return. Now, we'd rather not speak about it, just as they thought it best kept under the sea. Well, we think it's best kept out of polite dinner party conversation. No one mentioned death. But we travel there with Jonah today, not so much to end there, but to grasp why this God and ours has the monopoly on salvation. Because salvation, which we've already sung about today, it's not a spiritual and religious word, first and foremost. It is none other than verse 6, the end of verse 6. You brought my life up from the pits, O Lord my God. From that place of no return, that place of Sheol, that place where hope runs out, the place of death, from there you brought my life up, says Jonah. Well, uh, we began thinking about our philosophy of life and quality of life. And this is a question that every philosophy, every plan for life needs to be able to answer. It needs to provide, not just for life, but for life and all its fragility, life in the face of death. It is, if you like, a creaturely problem. The sea and the lands in chapter 1, well, it represented the whole creation. It was something common to us all. Well, beneath the sea is the same. It represents something we all face, the place of no return. Every country of the world, after all, has its own funeral ceremonies, hospitals. The fragility of life and the threat of death is common to us all. It's common to Jonah. It's common to the Ninevites. It was common to the sailors. It's common to us. And so Jonah wants us to know, at the end of verse 7, that if anyone is going to challenge for the position of Savior, they have to be able to do two things. They have to be able to hear down to the very belly of death, the very place of distress, And they have to be able to reach down to it, to the very depths of death and bring someone up alive. So Jonah's journey, it's not supposed to be uh, tips in a crisis, the last place you turn to, do this. No, it's supposed to be of general application. In a sense, he goes this far down to know just how strong this life is that the Lord offers. The Lord can reach down to the depths of death even. Jonah was confused, we saw in chapter one. Is God the God of death or the, de- or the God of life? Which does he give us? Does he once give us life and a- another time give us death? That's what he thought when he was sending Jonah to the Ninevites. But it's very clear, Jonah has no doubts at the bottom of the sea. God is only a God of life. And he's a God who is near. You see the nearness of the Lord? It's, it's very noticeable in these verses. You might say uh, a really strange geometry is at work here. I mean, what is the distance from where God is to the depths of Sheol, the depths of death? If you were to measure from the heights of God's holy temple to the depths of Sheol and death, how far would it be? What would your geometry tell you? Well, in these verses, the presence of the Lord is right beside Jonah. It's right there. His prayer from the place of distress, verse 2, the Lord hears. Verse 4, at the very point when he decides he must be banished from the sight of the Lord, well, no he turns to look at the Lord's holy temple. There is the Lord's presence within reach. And then he says, verse 7, at the point of losing consciousness, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lords. My prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. It's no distance from a prayer to penetrate from the depths of death to the sanctuary of the Lord in his holy temple. That's why only the Lord's can deliver salvation. Which brings us on to verse 8 to 10. It is, if you like, where Jonah sums up and evaluates anyone and everyone's philosophy of life. Because verses 2 to 7 have set a benchmark against which we need to test our way of living, our plan of living, how to guarantee and underwrite the greatest quality of life. So verse 8, Jonah says, Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Verse 9, But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord's. So this is a strategic thing for us to grasp. Because it's done the job of turning Jonah all the way around. He now doesn't run away from the Lord. He takes steps towards him. Because he has seen that the God is the God of life. We saw it last week. We see it particularly this week. He is the God who brings life out of death. That is what his presence means. It can never mean anything else than life and goodness. And so for us, even in the face of of difficult commands, for Jonah, even in the face of imminent exile for his nation, national death that Israel faced, were to know that God is always the God of life and goodness. Beneath the sea, Jonah sends a message back up to us, which is God is always a God of life. It's a truth that enables you and I to follow the Lord even in the hard places, even in difficult times. Because we are now convinced, or ought to be convinced, that the Lord's presence is life-giving to the point that it overcomes death. It means, can I say, that the Lord's presence, it's the first place we're to turn to, not the last. Even in the face of distress and death, this presence brings life. And so with verses 2 to 7, Jonah wants us to remove, if you like, any remaining skepticism. It's been removed for him. Any remaining skepticism that the Lord is two-faced, that he's Janus-faced, dealing death or dealing life. No, he only deals life and goodness. I want us to to settle for nothing less than that the creator is the one who gives us life. Do you see here that it has to be the creator? It has to be the one who made you and me, who made all things, who in the end saves us. When we sing salvation belongs to the Lord, we sing it to the creator, the one who made everybody. And it has to be that way. Because no one other than the creator can hear to the depths of his creation. Death here is described in in terms of creation, because it's part of creation. Only the creator can reach to those depths. Only the creator is within reach of death, and so in reach of us when we need it most. Well, as soon as we say that, uh, we discover that this is a truth not only for us, but for anyone and everyone. It's unclear who Jonah has in mind in verse 8. Does he have in mind faithless Israel? Does he have in mind the pagan sailors of chapter one? Well, we're not sure and it, we don't really need to know because it's of general application. And so in verse nine, if you think you've seen that verse before, if you think you recognize that you have. So if you turn back to chapter one, verse 16, we see something very similar indeed with the sailors. The sailors greatly feared the Lord's and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Exactly what Jonah does in chapter 2, verse 9. Jonah is just 10 steps behind the sailors. But Jonah the Jew and sailors the pagan Gentiles, well, they stand representatively for the whole world. And we're supposed to know that anyone and everyone, it's fitting for them to respond to the Lord in the same way in worship. And we've seen today the reasons why. Because in two things, we all stand on a level playing field. We're all made by God; We look to him for life and we all face death. We need to look to him for life in the face of that. In both instances, we need a creator God who gives us life and a creator God who gives us life out of death. And so in discovering our need again today, we discover not only ours, but everyone else's. It's the thing that is going to send Jonah reluctantly to the Ninevites. And we're to see that it's fully for anyone to spurn this life and goodness. It's fitting for anyone and everyone to turn to him because we all stand as creatures in need of our creator. So then this is the quality of life on offer today. Not just any life, but life that's strong enough that it can beat even death. And so with the closing of this prayer, salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah says, no one else can compete. No one else can reach down to the depths. No one else can hear to the depths. Salvation belongs only to the Lord. He has a monopoly on this kind of salvation. And then verse 10, with that message delivered, the Lord now commands the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land, from the floodwaters of the sea onto the safety of the dry lands. And it's with this bookend or this bracket that I want to close. Because I hope now we can see that the medium is the message, in a sense, It's really appropriate that Jonah says this prayer, sends this message from the belly of a fish, from the belly of Sheol, the belly of death itself. Jesus Christ looks back at the the miracle of Jonah and the fish and he says any generation that seeks a sign, that seeks proof of the, the real God, the authentic God, ultimately that seeks proof that he is God himself, well, they need only ask for one miracle. They shouldn't look for another miracle, but you shouldn't settle for anything less than this. Life out of death. The ability to bring life out of the pit of death. So Jesus says the only sign that will be given is the sign of Jonah, who was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And he says that the Son of Man himself, well, he goes to the grave three days and three nights, and he rises again from the dead. And the message is the same, that the Lord alone can bring life out of death. We'll see that it's a message powerful enough to bring the Ninevites to repentance next week, but today it's to be powerful enough to call us back to the goodness and life that is in the Lord's. There can be no question, no doubts about that. He has shown that even in death, this Lord delivers life to us. Let's pray together. Our Father God, we praise you that uh, you brought Jonah up from the depths, that you revealed to him that salvation belongs alone to you. We praise you that you have added to that the great miracle of the Lord Jesus, his resurrection from the dead, and shown us definitively your power to raise life from the dead. And we praise you that that's true of us in him. We praise you that the power that you give us at our disposal is this very power, the power that you worked resurrection. We pray that you would work that same power in and through us. We pray that you would call us back to your goodness, that we would take steps towards you in obedience, not away from you. And we pray that for ourselves and for others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.